Hello, everybody, and welcome to the second episode of the Leave It In Locker Room podcast, hosted by me, Charlie Green. If you're a returning listener from the first episode of the podcast series, then I'd like to welcome you back. But if you're a new listener to the series, oh, this is what is in store for you. Each episode, I'll be having a current or ex-sporting professional on the podcast, and they'll be putting forward three things they would like to remove from their respective sport. It really can be anything, and the point is to give sporting professionals the opportunity to come on and speak openly about what really annoys them whilst partaking in their sport i'll also find out how my guest is doing and have some quick fire locker room questions as a feature to end the podcast so there's lots to look forward to on episode one i had professional cricketer joe weatherly as my guest after a very interesting chat the famous man cad from cricket was the first sporting thing to be banished to the locker room and i think i'm happy to say since that episode i don't think we've seen a man cad in professional cricket since so maybe the cricketing gods have been listening but it's now time to welcome on my second guest to the series she is a Scottish professional golfer from Aberdeen, currently playing golf worldwide on both the LPGA and Ladies European Tour. Known for famously winning back-to-back events of the inaugural Rose Ladies Series this summer, it brings me great pleasure to welcome on Gemma Driver to the Leave It In The Locker Room podcast. Gemma, thank you so much for coming on and how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks for having me. So where actually are you based right now? Because I know you've recently been playing in, oh, I'm going to try to pronounce this correctly, the Andalusia Costa del Sol open de España on the sunny well south coastline in Spain. So I know you were just playing in that, but are you now back from Spain here? Yes, so I got back two days ago. I spent a couple of extra days in the sun. Well, we actually had a lot of rain that last week, which was a strange one going to Spain. But um, typically the last day I was there, it was nice and sunny. But it was uh, good to get some a bit warmer weather than home. But now back in England, um, yeah, play, play at Beaconsfield Golf Club. So that's where I'm kind of right now. Okay. I know it wasn't sort of the week you would have wanted down there in Marbella, but how do you assess your game now going into this sort of off-season? Yeah, it's been a strange year as for everyone, uh, 2020. But um, <laughs> I can say that again. Yeah, um, I had a really good start, like first half of the year. Uh, like you mentioned, I won two of the Rose Series events uh, that Justin Rose put on in the summer, which was great. Um, and then kind of had one of my best finishes on the LPGA after that, um, sixth place in um, Inverness in Ohio on the LPGA. And then I also started quite well in the start of the year in Australia. Um, and then it kind of all came to a halt um, after Australia. But then uh, starting back up, it was great. And then kind of second half of the year, and like, like you said, last year, last week, didn't have my best week, but um, kind of doing a few changes to my swing at the moment. And kind of gearing towards next year, really, because nothing really counted this year. It was a bit strange. Kind of, every, there's no Q school, um, so it was kind of all just kind of playing for for money and wins, really. So it's kind of a good time to kind of make some changes, maybe for next year, and kind of gear into hopefully starting in February. Okay, so for this off season, I mean, is the plan to sort of work on your game in this beautiful English weather, or are you going to have some time to sort of sit back? with the family, I know, catch up with the crown, because that seems what everybody's doing right now. Yeah, I'm halfway through the crown, the new series. Um, it's a bit of a buzz at the moment, isn't it? But yeah, I'll have, have some nice time with the family um, and uh, kind of Christmas time, New Year. And um, and then in the new year, I think I'll try and find somewhere warmer to, to practice in January, because usually we go off to Australia, but that's all been put off this year, next year. It'll be the first time I was, um, haven't gone to Australia since I turned pro, so that'll be pretty sad usually a nice time to go down there but um yeah I'll try to find somewhere warm to practice and get ready for the season 
it's a bit yeah. miserable here. <laughs> yeah, that definitely sounds like a good idea. And you, so you mentioned there that purple patch. You, you, you went through this summer winning back-to-back Rose Lady Series event at the Buckinghamshire Golf Club event, Royal St. George's. What sort yeah. of seemed to click so well for you in those two events? Just kind of everything, really. Um, my putting especially, it was kind of, I started aim point at the start of this year, um, and it's really helped me. Uh, my putting's kind of come on leaps and bounds since then um, and also working with my, my my putting coach Nick Soto so it's kind of all clicked uh, especially in the summer um, and I obviously was hitting it well as well so yeah just I was coming in with a little bit of confidence from before lockdown um, and I was hitting into a net in the back garden during lockdown a football goal with a were, net behind we? it yeah <laughs> uh, so that kept me going but yeah it was just kind of no expectation kind of going into those events and kind of just having a bit of fun which was great yeah, and now you hold a record of being the first female professional to win at Royal St. George's. I mean, you must like the sound of that history that will be yours forever. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's such an honour. They've actually put my name on one of the winner's boards in the clubhouse, which I wasn't expecting. So I have to go down there and see it myself. So that was pretty special. Uh, but yeah, what a, what a prestigious course to win at. I know, very cool. And sort of talking about the Rose Ladies series... I know you've spoken sort of very fondly in the past about what Justin and Kate Rose did in setting up the series during this sort of very troublesome times of COVID this year. How substantial of a contribution was it for the ladies professional game here in England and Europe? Yeah, it was massive. Um, it got such good media coverage because there was nothing really going on at that stage. Yeah, exactly. I think we were, the, we were the first professional women's sport to kind of come back after lockdown. So just the first event, even though there was no fans loud there's a lot of media there so it was just great to see the buzz around it and just to have Justin Rose such a big name in the sport kind of you know support the women's game uh, it was great to see and I think a lot of men have kind of spoken up about the women's game since then so it's kind of encouraged that which has been great and originally it was only going to be one event at Brockenhurst Manor and then that was going to be it but then it kind of into, turned into a whole series and I think they're planning to do something next year as well which is quite exciting. Yes, and of course it finished in rather weird circumstances with the fire outbreak on the course at Wentworth. What actually happened there and do you know what effect it's had on the golf course? So, unfortunately, I had to leave for America halfway through the seat after my okay. St. George's win. Um, I decided to go to the LPGA just to kind of um, make, it, make the most of the events I got in. So, unfortunately, I wasn't there, but it was such so sad to see how it finished. Um, and I went, I got to play the West Course a couple months ago and I saw all the kind of devastation in the in the woods behind the 10th tee and it just looked it was so close to the, to the players and the pictures that I saw were just must have been so scary. Oh, no, I couldn't think and has it sort of affected the course by, by any means or is it all no, kind of sort of behind a tee box or something? They were very lucky it's like just behind um, the 10th tee box and you can kind of see on the left of the ninth hole I think it is mm-hmm. so yeah it's just um, it's Scary to see how close it actually was, but they were very lucky to kind of contain it from the course. So I'm not sure if Sunningdale got some damage, but I think it was very close to them as well. Yeah, that's been madness. Yeah. So getting on to the reason why you've come onto the podcast today, and that's for you to come and put forward your claim and reasoning to why you want three certain things to be removed from your sport, golf. Now, so the way this is going to work is one by one. Gemma is going to put forward three things she'd like to remove from golf. We're then going to discuss them. And then Gemma's going to try and convince me that they should be removed from the sport. So after hearing Gemma's arguments, I'm going to pick one of the three things to hypothetically remove from golf to then leave it in the locker room. So Gemma, what is the first thing you would like to remove from golf, please? 
So the first one is slow play. And I think it's a very big buzzword at the moment in golf and everyone's been talking about it for a while now. Yeah, right. I, I, saw, I saw this one coming, I have to be honest. <laughs> so, when, what is it about slow play in golf that sort of frustrates you so much and it seems like the whole sort of golfing world? Well, for me, I'm quite a fast player, so it probably frustrates me just as much as every other fast player. But it's just, I see it as, I'm always going to say it's almost cheating because they're taking more time than they're allowed. Typically, you're allowed 40 seconds to play a golf shot maybe an extra 10 seconds if you're the first one to play on the green or, or, some, or on the tee. But, you know, that you're allowed 40 seconds to do your shot and figure out what you're going to do. But sometimes they're taking, you know, up to two minutes to play a shot. And unless it's like a really hard shot out of the trees or something, I don't think you should be taking that long. And you're really, everyone in your, your group with you is having to wait for you and kind of bide some time. And we've kind of been able to, like, figure out how to cope with that now but we shouldn't really need to and I think for people watching as well especially like on tv it's not so bad because they can edit the the pre-shot but stuff out but when you're there watching I mean when you're there live watching a golf tournament you're watching all the prep and it can get a bit boring watching that and I don't think it's good for the game yeah that's very good point and it also like you were saying it does actually affect your playing partners in the group I mean I know I'm lucky enough to be friends with Ellie Corder and during mm-hmm. that playoffs of the ANA uh, oh a few gosh, months yeah. back, like I know that was sort of really frustrating because she's a quick player as well. And that was really was fr- so frustrating quick. her with the whole situation that was going on there. So what would you say is the average amount of time it takes to play around on the professional women's circuit right now? So in America on the LPGA, I'd say, I mean, average is five hours. Um, is that for, for a four ball? Or for a for three? three ball. For a three, for three ball, ball. Okay. yeah. But I would say on the Ladies European Tour, it is on average quicker, which is nice to play in Europe um, when it's a bit quicker. But in the LPG, I'd say definitely you're, uh, when you're thinking about how long it's going to take you, it's always five hours. That's exhausting. I mean, yeah. I mean it's, it's way too long. <laughs> I, I can relate a little bit because when I was playing golf at university in California, we didn't have just 18. I mean, I'm sure you probably had the same with Tulane, but like we had 36 whole days. We'd have mm-hmm. to be teeing off at sort of 6.30 a.m. and we wouldn't be getting off the golf course of our second round, probably to around six o'clock in the evening with no break in between. So you're, you're picking yeah. up a sort of Chipotle sort of exactly. rack for your lunch, going straight to your second round. And yeah. I mean, university rounds are sort of similar sort of time, sort of five and a half hours. And yeah. It's just, it is exhausting out there and it it does have a huge effect on your game as well. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I kind of experienced that in college as well. I think sometimes the coaches can get too involved as well in college. I think it kind of slows it down as well. Um, But yeah, it's just, sometimes it can take, I've had rounds that take six hours. I'm sure you have as well. I mean, it's just, it's just insane. (laughs) I think four and a half hours is a decent amount of time for a competition. Like when you're playing for your living and stuff, I don't think, when you're playing with your mates at home, a three ball, four ball, I mean, it takes four hours or less than four hours. But I think when you're playing for money and, you know, your livelihood, I think I think four and a half hours, four hours, 20 is pretty reasonable. But an extra 40 minutes, 30 minutes on top of that or more is just, it's just ridiculous, really. You say that you've had some rounds that have been close to that sort of six hour mark. Is there a certain round that sticks out there for being the longest you've ever been on a golf course? Well, there was, I think... To be fair, I think the weather and the conditions were very tough. But I think in Scotland, I think it was the last year's Scottish, the weather was just horrendous. And we had those, that was the famous Scottish Open, women's Scottish, when we had 
the two the two halves were the first half that went out in the awful weather and then there was a delay and then the afternoon was glorious weather but I mean that round that took that took forever just with like because also when it's raining as well you have to take preferred lies move it from um, you know puddles on the, on the fairway and, and so on so that can take that adds time to it anyway so it's just you're out there forever and you just feel exhausted at the end of it so I'm going to play devil's advocate here, frankly, because I can. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that because sort of professional golfers get the luxury of taking their time when competing, that it could almost allow for sort of a higher standard of the game, though? Well, it's funny you say that because a lot of times when if your group gets on the clock, I think most of the time people play better. And the, the slower player in the group actually plays quite well when they're actually, you know, going through, they don't have to go, go through the waiting and all this and talking to their caddy and they're actually just kind of getting up and hitting it. Because when you when you see a golf shot, you kind of want to, okay, get the yardage and get the wind and then, and then you just kind of want to see the shot and hit it. I think all the thinking that comes into it, I think can put, I think it puts players off more than they think. So um, I think a lot of rules officials say that when they, when they put a grip on the clock, sometimes they actually see better golf. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I think I could almost agree with that. I mean, obviously, I don't, I've, well, I've never played golf at the standard that you have. But talking about being put on the clock, I remember there was this one tournament, I think it was at IMG, my maybe uh-huh. my senior year. And uh, the two boys who I was playing with might be listening to this and they'll know exactly where I'm <laughs> going here. But we were put on the clock on the fifth hole and it was an all English group, um, uh-huh. IMG Junior Golf Tour event. And we put on the clock for, on a fifth hole and I was not too happy about that. Maybe I got my emotions, got the better of me. And then yeah. on the next hole, I literally hit my tee shot, ran down the next fairway, <laughs> hit my approach shot onto the green, didn't even really look at my putt and sunk like a 45 footer for birdie. So maybe that is sort of the way <laughs> that, that we should be playing golf. Um, but so my argument would be that so there are many moments in golfing history, such as sort of, let's say, Bubba's shot from the Pines to win a playoff hole during the Masters or Spieth's three wood from the range area at the open. Oh, yeah. That, that took a while. Arguably, it, they were so intriguing and exciting because they were kind of allowed to give, have the time to pull off these amazing shots. If, they were, if there was a shot clock or something, they wouldn't be able to do that. So that is like an argument I would say maybe why yeah. we should allow time so these amazing shots can be pulled off. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think in certain situations when you're not in the middle of the fairway and the pins kind of in the middle of the green, like if it's if you're in the trees and you've got a tricky shot like Baba did and Jordan Speed, that was just unbelievable what he did there. You need the time. And I, I would agree with that, that in certain situations in golf, you need to allow for more time. And I think usually rules officials that I've spoken to, they kind of they do allow for that. When you're in trouble and stuff like that, you you get an extra you know 30 seconds or something to work work out your shot so I, I agree with that and I think within reason I think most shots involved can be can be played within within the time that's that needs to be taken. So what would you say golf needs to do to try reduce slow play then? My big thing is I think the penalties should be shot penalties rather than monetary fines um, I know I don't know how every other tour does it but on the women's tour it's typically a a monetary fine so and a lot of the players don't really care about you know getting a thousand dollar fine just because if they think if they take an extra extra time they'll make that back um which may or true may be true maybe not but mm-hmm. that's how they see it and um i think 
you'd really get them moving if they, if you said, okay, you're going to get a shot penalty here if you don't hurry up. That'll get them moving. I mean, do, do you think there's also maybe potentially calls for the, like being range finders introduced? I've heard those sort of rumours to try and help quicken up the process of getting a yardage. Um, see, I don't think range finders would actually make it faster because the thing is, the caddy, let's say, shoots it, shoots the flag, and then, then he's got to work out, look at the pin sheet, okay, now minus that to get to the front, what's the back? And then the player's probably like, okay, are you, you sure you got the flag, not the bush at the back? And then it kind of all goes on from there. But when, when you're walking with the, the dots on the ground that with the yardage books, we get like a, a yardage to the front. So as you're walking, the caddy kind of is pacing that off. So as soon as you get to the ball, you know what the front is. And then you both can look, okay, perfect. We've got 100 to the, to the front and then 10 on, 110 to the pin instead of getting there. And then also, if the group in front of you is, hasn't put the pin in yet, you've got to wait for them to put the pin in until you can shoot the flag. Whereas usually when you're waiting in pro golf, you can already have the yardage and be talking about the shot. So that's my thing about rangefinders. So we're not, we're not a fan of that. Don't think that's going to no. help improve. <laughs> okay. And then also a change of format, maybe? Could that be in store, like 12 whole courses and rounds, potentially? I, could, um, I think I'm a bit of a traditionalist in that. I think 18 is, for pro- professional golf, I think that's great. Um, but there, I mean, there was that tournament, Golf Sixes, that was fun um, to watch and to kind of see that, you know, the six hole format. It's a very different, I think, attitude you probably have to have on a, a shorter format of golf. Yeah. Um, but it could, I think it would, yeah, exactly. And I think they had a tournament on the European Tour, was it the Shot Clock Masters or something like that? Mm-hmm. I think they had like, the, they had the timing for each shot that you had to, and if you didn't do it in 40 seconds, you got a shot penalty. So that was interesting. It's, but it's, I think, I don't think that's, that should be like the norm, but I think it's good to introduce those things to, to golf and make it a bit, bit more fun. Okay, some good points here. So what is the second thing that you would like to put forward to potentially go into the locker room, Gemma? Um, I think I'd like to reduce the amount of stroke play events that we play and kind of introduce more, like I was just saying, like we just mentioned the golf sixes and some maybe fun. Um, I, I mean, the men have some match play events, but the women... The only time we get to play match play is if we get into the Solheim Cup. So I think it would be nice to see some different formats in golf. So, so why exactly would you like to see less stroke play events and more match play and mixed and different events? So when you, when you play amateur golf, you kind of, especially in Britain, we play loads of match play. Um, and then when you turn pro, it's like, oh, no more match play now, just stroke play. So it's, it can get, I mean, I love stroke play. It's obviously the purest form of golf, but... I think it's fun to introduce some different formats and maybe have some sort of bracket deal where you kind of have a uh, maybe a, a group pool and then go into I know the men have that uh, for the, the Dell match play or something but yeah you know, the women the women's game doesn't have enough of it I don't think and we, we don't have any of it just the Solheim really it'd also be nice to see some men and women's kind of mixed events as well so going on match play first you, so you, you mentioned so the two big ones there are the Solheim Cup for the women's and the Ryder Cup for the men what yeah. do you think makes match play tournaments so almost that more exciting than stroke play I think it's just the fact that you can like just completely mess up on a hole and it really just doesn't matter <laughs> you lose the <laughs> hole obviously but that's it like yeah. you know if you make an eight on a hole it's not going to add up at the end of the round so um I think that's the jeopardy of that is fun and they're also like the fact that even if someone's out, maybe hit a bad drive in a hole and the other person's in the middle of the fairway, that person that's in, in the trees can easily still win the hole. And just the surprise of, 
you know, a bunker shot going in for birdie and then suddenly you're like, oh gosh, I've got to make this to half the hole. It's kind of just that, that jeopardy in it, I think. And I think camaraderie as well um, is kind of adds to it as well. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's more entertaining in a way, but also I feel like you're saying it allows players to take those more risky shots, play with more freedom mm. than in stroke play because they know they can blow up on one hole and it will only be that one hole gone. Yeah. I also think another aspect to maybe why it's more entertaining and, you know, you see so many more people watch arguably the Solheim Cup and Ryder Cup than just normal stroke play events is almost that for the average person, it's almost easy to understand rather than having, mm. you know, somebody who's six over or eight under yeah. who people don't understand golf. They're like, what is that? It's as simple as that person is two up or they're one yeah. down. And I think that is also something that also contributes to that match play element is that for the average sport fan, watching golf they will actually understand the method of who's winning rather than somebody's yeah. nine under and they're like what is happening here <laughs> yeah I think you're totally right on that I think the you know the Solheim Cup and the Ryder Cup bring that into play and just everyone loves to watch it no matter if they they probably don't watch golf the whole year but they'll watch that and it's just so exciting because there's just I mean anything can happen in match play just, um, that's the great thing about it on your very smart website that I've had a look at, you said the highlight <laughs> of your amateur career was playing in the Curtis Cup back in 2014, which of course is a match play tournament. Why yeah. would you hold this sort of moment in your amateur career with such high regard? Well, I just think as an amateur, if you're from Great Britain, Ireland or America, I think that's kind of the peak almost that you want to get to, kind of same in you know, the pro game with Solheim and Ryder Cup, I think. Um, if you're from those countries, that's kind of like, okay, that's my goal to kind of get on that team, uh, represent the country. Um, I just think it's such an honour and playing in it. I mean, that is the most nervous I've ever been. And if I ever do get on the Solheim, I'm sure that will top it. But um, that is the most nervous I've ever been. I literally, on the first tee, the first shot, I could not feel my legs. Thankfully, I was, I don't know how I was able to hit it, but I was able to hit it down the middle. But I, my legs were numb. Thankfully, I got them in the right position. And if they weren't in the right position, they were not moving because I just couldn't <laughs> feel them. They felt like lead weights, but it was just had a great experience. And um, kind of the first time I'd ever been kind of with cameras and stuff around me. Um, so that was a great experience, you know, before turning pro that, that following year. Just it was in Missouri, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, St. Louis. So it was a really good golf course as well. Um, and actually, I mean... Majority of both teams are on tour now, so it's um, it was quite a quite a good year of um, talent. And I'm going to go back and play devil's advocate here, just because I can. <laughs> like I say, I say the only argument that I can sort of see, well, against match playing, why we need to have so many stroke play events, is kind yeah. of stroke players regarded as that purest form of golf, almost yeah. like test cricket in a way it's a format for traditionalists so yeah. i mean do you think maybe because all of the majors are stroke play do you think there should be match play majors maybe mm, no i don't think the majors i think the majors should stay stroke play but my one thing i thought about was the olympics i think when the olympics was announced in golf i thought they could they had such an opportunity to kind of make something a bit more different or more fun about it and it's literally just a stroke play event and I thought they kind of missed a trick there. Um, I think the Olympics could be one of those where you have kind of make, maybe mixed teams, men and women, um, and some sort of match play element to it. And I think they, may, they maybe think the same, like, okay, we have to have the sport in the purest form, which I guess you could have a stroke play, kind of maybe a three-round stroke play event, and then you could have the rest of the time match play or some sort of mixed event. Um, 
I think that would be a cool addition to the, to the game. That is a good idea. I haven't thought about that. I quite like that. Uh, we might have to put that forward to uh, yeah, the Olympic committee. Exactly. Hope they're listening. <laughs> and you mentioned also mixed events on uh, potentially coming more into the circuit. What do you think the advantage of these are? I think it would spark a lot of interest. Um, we're lucky enough in Australia to play, I'm not sure if you've heard of the Vic Open, um, just outside Melbourne. It's not per se a mixed event, but the men and women are played on the same courses and they kind of alternate the tea time. So it'll go a men's tea time, then a women's, and then alternating from there. So it just creates such a buzz because the spectators can see both, you know, the men's game and the women's game. When we have both have different qualities and um, good things to, you know, add to, you know, people to learn from and see and enjoy. So I think that's been such a success and it's kind of grown from year to year. And I think, I think if the LPGA and the PGA Tour, and I think there's talk about them doing something together, I just think it would be a great thing to watch to kind of see the different skills that we both have. And um, I think it would just be great for uh, the game of golf just to kind of introduce something different. Yeah, and, and expand the game in general, I'm sure it would yeah. as well. Yeah. I think it would introduce more fans to the game as well, I think, if you kind of had that, that mix of... And I think probably more people would appreciate uh, how good the women are as well. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you, people would definitely be amazed at just how straight you guys yeah. hit it. And also yeah. around the greens, how much better you are than the yeah. men. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there on the PGA Tour that would love to hit it as straight as uh, the girls do on the European and LPGA. Yeah, I'm sure. So that's for sure. So what percentage of match play or mixed events would you like to see change in the sort of skis and schedules if mm. it is, let's say, 95% stroke play right now? Yeah, it would be nice to see maybe... 15 to 20% kind of match play, stroke play slash different kind of event. I think that would be good to mix it up. I think still the majority of events should be stroke play because like we said, like that's the kind of purest form and mm-hmm. um, you get the, you know, the best champions from there. But I think seeing the different kind of type of golf and kind of your different strengths, I think in match play sometimes mental strength mm-hmm. as well. So I think it would be good to get kind of that side of golf and um, see a bit more. 15 to 20 percent it's all we're asking for people what Gemma wants is 15 yeah, to 20 percent not much okay <laughs> and then what is the third and last thing you would like to put forward to the locker room uh so my third one is removing the stigma from golf clubs um and what I mean by that is kind of in I think a lot of golf clubs I think it's getting better but I think even myself like I've played golf for a long time and kind of been around golf for a long time but even sometimes when I'm in a golf club and after the round I kind of think okay am I doing everything right have I got the right shoes on what am I doing wrong am I doing something against the rules or something like that so I think that part of golf kind of it does have a barrier against you know introducing new people to the game and juniors as well I think as a junior I mean I always remember being like oh gosh um, you know, what's that member thinking? Am I, what, am I doing something wrong? Are they going to be complaining about me doing something? Or just kind of that stigma, stigma around it. And um, I think I'd like to see that, if that all make, kind of makes sense of what I'm trying to say. But yeah, it's kind of that stigma around, yeah, getting more people into the game and kind of reducing the barriers, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think the sort of the stuffiness around golf stuffiness, clubs, yeah. Is, yeah, is what's frustrating you there. And what do you think is the general reputation of sort of golf clubs and country clubs that they give off to the general eye? Yeah, I think stuffiness is probably the best word if that's a technical term. But it's just kind of like, it's not the most welcoming sometimes, golf, um, and especially golf clubs and country clubs. 
sometimes it can be seen as, oh, you've got to be a certain type of person to be a member of a golf club or uh, wear a certain thing or be a type of person. And I think that's kind of the thing I like to see be reduced. Is there a rule that frustrates you the most out there? Um, I think, well, I mean, women in, women in clubhouses has been a big thing and playing golf as well. I think it's reducing, but I mean, we saw Muirfield obviously vote a few years ago against um, four um, adding women to the club and they're actually hosting a, a women's open in a few years. So that's exciting. But just kind of, there's been so much of that where women are not allowed in the clubhouses. There's a little like outhouse for them to have a coffee if they're going to play um, instead of actually being allowed in the clubhouse. That's probably the biggest one for me. Obviously, like in 2020, we shouldn't really be um, stopping women from going to the clubhouses or playing golf. And I think it puts them off sometimes. Yeah. I know at Ross St George's, I think they've only, they've, I think, just recently introduced uh, female members. And I think they've got about eight at the moment. But a lot of them, the wives of the members are allowed to play for free. So that's kind of why that's kind of still quite a small number of uh, female members, which I guess makes sense if they're allowed to play for free if their husband's a member. But it'd be nice to see more females kind of properly joining these kind of clubs and uh, being allowed to play and having actually ladies tees as well. Yeah, and grow the game. Because it, it is madness that you say sort of there are clubs out there where you'll get told off for, let's say, having, you know, your socks below your ankle. And that yeah. will be like the biggest thing that's happened in a club all week. <laughs> but they don't, they don't bat an eyelid when, they, when, you know, women aren't allowed into the main bar. And that, yeah. that seems all fine. Exactly. It it's, it's just madness. I do agree with you there. And then in, in recent years here in the press, especially in the UK, there's been a lot of discussion about trying to involve more young girls to become members of clubs and take up the game. Like you were sort of just saying there, you want to see more women take up the game. First of all, how did you get into golf? And when you started playing at junior level, was the lack of girls competing something that you noticed? Yeah, so my dad got me into the game. Definitely. So the, I think the first club I was a member at, I don't remember any girls. Um, and then we met a bit, we moved down to England for my dad's job. And the first club I was a member of down here, I don't remember any girls there, but I was lucky enough to join the club I'm now a member of, Beaconsfield, and it had a really good girls section. Um, I think we had, a lot of us played county golf together as well, which was great. It must have been about 10 or 12 of us. So it's of very varying ages, but it was just great to have some other girls to play. And I think that what's, that sometimes puts a lot of girls off is that they always have to play with the boys, you know, when they're growing up and the kind of, they're up the forward tee and the boys at the back and there's kind of, they don't talk to them and it's not a very fun kind of environment for some girls to play in when they first start golf. So it'd be nice to see more girls playing and kind of maybe joining like we did, like we all joined the same club and we all played together. Just kind of stuff like that, I think would help. And have you ever felt so unwelcomed walking into a golf club? To be fair, I've always felt like I've, you know, been welcomed. Um, when we played, we played the Royal St. George's, uh, the British Am, uh, 2013, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they allowed us into the clubhouse and everything. So we felt quite honoured. <laughs> um, but yeah. But you, should, that, you shouldn't feel honoured for I just know. going into it. That's the thing, really, isn't that it? That is the thing. Yeah, that is the thing. Um, I mean, I, I have never played Muirfield, but I've heard, you know, the stories of in the past of women having just to sit in like this small room just uh, on their own having coffee before the round and it just seems very strange that that's the case. And how would you sort of suggest changing the image and stigma of these clubs sort of give off? Do you think they just need to sort of like 
just quicken up and realize it's 2020 here I think so I think I mean it's hard because these golf clubs as you know like a lot of them are stuck in their ways and on several tradition, things that, yeah yeah tradition yeah so it's it's not I don't think it will change like just like that but I think realizing that you know women are part of the game and then you know we need to be inclusive of women juniors everyone um, and I think golf has a way to go but it's going in the right direction I think yeah I know we're speaking a lot here about women but it's not just women's bit there's no. stuffiness around it's literally juniors but there's also just any sort of it seems that like younger generation in a golf yeah. club even just sort of if a, an old boy sort of four ball is playing you know sometimes they they should be let through when there's a two ball of younger people in yeah. front of them just because that's the rules and that's tradition and yeah, yeah. it's kind of mind-boggling I think I was going to say I think juniors get a bad rap sometimes because there are there are some people blame them for being slow or mm. not fixing their pitch marks and I mean, I think juniors are probably the easiest ones to kind of blame for that, but usually it's not them. So I'll just say that. <laughs> <laughs> there you have it. All right. So it's got to that time where I have now got to pick one of these things to remove from golf and leave it in the locker room. Now, Gemma, you've brought some really, really good points forward here. A lot better than some of Joe Weverly's from episode one, I have to say, <laughs> where he tried to remove pre-match warm-ups from cricket that I, I have to say was just never going to happen. Um, no. But yeah, it's hard for me to pick here because I think every golf fan would like to see these changes in the game. But so after some thought, what I've decided to hypothetically remove from the game of golf and put into the locker room is, drum roll please, I'm going to put in the stigma and stuffiness around golf clubs as my thing going into the locker room in golf. I just think it, it for me, it's so obvious that we're kind of living in the past in that mm. world right there. I mean, like you say, the fact that there are still clubs out there that won't allow women to be in the clubhouse or go to be in the bar. I just can't really get my head around it. And also, like you say, the juniors seem to get a hard rap. And what we're trying to really do, I feel, is, is grow the game of golf. And we yeah. want juniors to feel as welcomed as possible when they're trying to take up the game. Because quite frankly, if you go to the, your local golf club and you've got members sort of telling you off for not doing your pitch marks or playing slow and putting pressure on, at that young age, you're just going to be like, oh, I don't enjoy this. I'm just not going to go play. And they're going to go back and just go play exactly. football with their buddies on you know, the common or whatever. And it is actually, in a way, this sort of stuffiness surrounding golf clubs. I feel it is kind of killing the game. There are clubs out there, and I'm not saying it's for every club, because my club I'm a member of, I feel, are very welcoming. But there is some clubs out there that I feel are almost pushing away that next yeah. generation. And it yeah. is going to really bite the game at an amateur level in the backside, I feel, in the sort of coming years, I would say. Yeah, definitely. I think... I think you're right. There's obviously like lots of clubs that are welcoming and um, do welcome juniors and everyone to the game. And but there are just too many that that don't do that, unfortunately. Yeah. So we can now add the stigma and stuffiness around golf clubs to the locker room alongside Joe Weverly's choice for Mancad from cricket. So in it goes. Right. I think it's time for some locker room questions. Co-producer Henry Thomas Aldridge, please take it away. It's time for some locker room questions with Gemma Driver, brought to you by Buda Vida, the activewear brand giving back to women in sport. So if you're still struggling to find a Christmas present for your other half, then head over to Buda Vida and use discount code hashtag leave it in the locker room for 30% off your order. 
Yes, that's right, listeners. 30% off your order using discount code hashtag leave in the locker room with women's activewear brand Buda Vida. So there's no excuses not to smash Christmas this year. Thanks to Buda Vida and the Leave It in the Locker Room podcast. So if it all goes pear-shaped on December 25th because you didn't go to Buda Vida, don't blame us. Now it's time to play our end of podcast feature, Locker Room Questions. So it's an opportunity to find out what really goes on behind the doors of the locker room on both the LPGA and Ladies European Tour. So this is going to be some quick-fire questions to you, Gemma. And yeah, pretty quick-fire answers back, please. Okay. So are you ready? I'm ready, I hope. Okay. <laughs> so what is your go-to pre-round meal? Oh, um, I like a bit of maybe pasta some, yeah. and some meat. Yeah, and maybe some veggies on the side. You've got to get those veggies in. Yeah. What is your go-to music artist to help pump yourself up? I think I like a bit of Beyonce before round. Beyonce? Any particular song? Yeah. Single Ladies, maybe? Oh, have we, have we ever done a <laughs> single ladies dance on the range? That's a sort of warm-up, maybe, in Scotland. Um, not quite, but maybe I but should add that to my routine. Maybe, yeah. Cameras would certainly uh, catch, <laughs> catch that, I'm sure. Do you have any sort of superstitions in golf? Well, I try not to have superstitions, but I don't like to change my ball during the round, and I think I probably should. Uh, if I'm do- going well with it, then I like to ch- I like to keep the same ball, even though a lot, a lot of people should say you should change, you know, after six or nine holes, but I don't think it really matters. Is that normal then on tour, for, like you say, after six or nine holes for people to change their ball? Yeah. You think the performance has got worse at all, is that why? I don't think, I don't personally think it makes that much of a difference, but sometimes they can get a little few scuffs on them or the, the, mark, the mark doesn't look quite as good. So, but yeah, I like to keep the same ball if I can. Especially the way I play golf, you definitely get a lot of scuffs <laughs> on the ball after six holes, I can tell you that. <laughs> Who is the funniest person on tour? Uh, Tiffany Joe. Any standout moment you can think of while you say her? Well, she is just a laugh a minute, really. I don't know if anyone follows her on social media but I recommend if you do um she's always wearing some sort of onesie or doing some sort of funny video on online and she's a hilarious on tour as well on the on the course she's always laughing and um having making jokes all the time and which fellow tour member spends the most time in front of the mirror in the locker room oh that's a good one I'd say I'm going to say my good friend Rosie Davis because I've room with her a lot and she's always asking me what she's going to wear and what looks good and stuff. So um, I'll say Rosie. Okay. And best dancer on tour. Can I say myself? <laughs> yeah. You, you can say yourself. I'm going to say 100%. myself. <laughs> What's your go-to dance move? Well, after a few drinks, I like a bit of, you know, Saturday Night Fever or... <laughs> yeah. Classic. That Just is, classics. Got to love the VGs. Yeah. Perfect. Well, yeah, we've got single ladies and Saturday Night Fever now to look forward yeah. to seeing, seeing from you. Messiest <laughs> player on tour? Um, can I say caddy? Yeah, you can say a... caddy. We're, we're very open my... here in the locker room, so yeah. Okay, good. Um, I'm going to say my friend Charlotte Thomas's caddy, Chris Edwards. He'll appreciate that. Okay. <laughs> and then last two questions. Worst moment walking back into the locker room? Probably after the Scottish Open last year when I'm uh, played in the awful weather and missed the cut by one. Okay, yeah, I can tell that would have been very frustrating. <laughs> yeah. And especially with the weather, just to rub insult into yeah. wound. And exactly. last question is best moment for you walking back into the locker room? Probably when I won at Royal St. George's this year. Yeah, it must that have just been special. such a surreal feeling. That. 
Yeah, I mean, winning at the Bucks was great, but then winning back to back the next week and also just at Royal St George's, just again, such a uh, great field and stuff was just great, great feeling. And was it sort of weird that because obviously it was COVID times, did you have family and friends there to celebrate with, or was it kind of just? Thankfully, my dad was on the bag, so that was special. And uh, mum came along for the for the ride down there, so she was there as well, which was lovely. That's, that's lovely to hear. All right, well, yeah. Gemma, thank you so much for coming on to the Leave It In The Locker Room podcast. You've been a fantastic guest. And yeah, thanks you, for having yeah, me. You brought some really great points. It was so tough for me to choose one, but yeah, we are sticking the stigma and stuffiness of golf clubs into the locker room but yeah thank you so much for coming on and i hope you have a, a lovely off season thank i hope you. you enjoy the rest of the crown and yeah, good luck to next season starting in february yeah thank you very much thanks for having me and that concludes the second episode of the leave it in the locker room podcast thank you so much for Gemma driver for coming on the podcast and we wish Gemma all the best in the new year and season i'd also like to thank you all of course for listening in i hope you enjoyed the podcast and if you'd like to keep up to date with all the news and updates or who'll be coming on the podcast in the future months then please follow at five degree media on instagram and twitter and don't be afraid to chime in some thoughts if you have any feedback i'd love to hear from you all good and bad and of course please download and subscribe to the leave it in the locker room podcast on spotify apple i think we're even on google podcasts so please subscribe and listen to wherever you find your podcasts and of course i look forward to welcoming you all back for the next episode thank you all for listening once again bye for now